Well, yes, I will, Tim. Tim reckons you can't laugh. I, I think it'd be true to say, though, that mother-in-laws have been the butt of many jokes. Would you not say that would be right? That'd be true, wouldn't it? Well, it's interesting, but Harry was travelling down a country road in his native Yorkshire place in England when he saw a... What is it called? Yorkshire. Yorkshire. I'm Scottish, I can't understand. Yorkshire. And he saw a, gr- a large group of people outside a farmhouse. It was a cold January afternoon. So he stopped and asked Farmer Giles why such a large crowd of men were gathered there. The farmer replied, ah, his donkey kicked his mother-in-law and she died. Well, replied the man, she must have had a lot of friends. Nope, said Giles, we just want to know how we can buy the donkey. <laughs> So you can laugh, that's good. Actually, Adam and Eve were the happiest in the, in, and the luckiest couple of all. They never had a mother-in-law, so they were fine. But it'd also be very, very true to say that after many mother-in-law jokes, they have played such a vital role in many people's lives, many people's lives, and in the spiritual growth of many family members, and I'm sure you can identify with that. They've made a deep impact of those who have married their children. Absolutely. You know, there are two great stories, and I'm not going to refer to them all the way through, but two great stories of mother-in-laws in the Old Testament. Ruth's mother-in-law. Anybody remember her name? Naomi. That's right. And in Ruth 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, it says this, Where you go, I will go. And where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Not even death will separate us. My goodness, how about that? Is that what your daughter-in-law is saying? That's how much of an influence that this mother-in-law had on her daughter-in-law, on Ruth. And in the New Testament, we find an incredible story of Peter's mother-in-law, which we read, who was laid up with a, with a high fever. Both of these ladies were wonderful women of faith, incredible women of faith. Let me just set a small scene for you here, because two weeks ago, we, we saw Jesus in action in the synagogue, where he cast out a demon from a man that uh, cried out. Remember that? And using his authority of his father, he cast out this demon. He simply said, be quiet and come out. And the demon obeyed Jesus. And straightway, he came out. And in verse 27, it says, and they were all amazed. Isn't that incredible? When we see miracles, when we see God do something, we go, whoa, that's amazing. In actual fact, it shouldn't be should be normal, should be normal in the Christian church, should be normal. It's at a time like at this moment where Peter remembers that his mother-in-law, his homesick, 
with one of the worst fevers that you could possibly ever imagine. And in the Eastern world, probably mosquito-borne malaria, probably. We know that Peter's mother-in-law was in a life-threatening situation because in Luke's gospel, who was a doctor, he said it was a high fever, a high fever, which meant it was really bad. So possibly every possibility was that she was going to die. We, we, we know that. We now know that Peter thinks, why don't I invite Jesus home? Good thought. Get him, get him home after, after church even for a meal. So he does. So when Jesus arrives at the home, he finds Peter's mother-in-law critically ill in bed. And this miracle that Jesus performs actually gives us, I believe, a rare glimpse into a family that was so courageous enough to initially accept Peter into their inner family circle. Mrs. Peter, Peter's wife, must have been an extremely resourceful woman to marry this rough-headed, rough-handed, loudmouthed fisherman whose name she now used. And he was a loudmouth. He had foot-in-mouth disease. What faith it must have taken for her to even her mother, to allow her to marry this uncouth guy. It's even amazing that Jesus had him on his team, when you think about it. Peter suffered with that, you know, before, and then all of a sudden the, gear, the brain kicks into gear. I can identify with Peter. I really, and I guess some of us here can identify with Peter. You know, Annie's first impression of me was at an Easter camp. I was only 17 at the time, and I rocked into this campsite after midnight, hanging out the window, the side window of this car who my mate was driving, blowing a trombone that I can't even play. (laughs) All I needed to know that I was making this noise so that I could announce that that I'd arrived. (laughs) <laughs> it woke up everybody, everybody. The problem is it also woke up the leaders. I thought it was fun, but the look on the leader's face <laughs> told me another story. Totally different. Now, if that wasn't a red flag to Annie, I don't know what it was. You know, surely at that particular point in time she would have said, uh-uh. Don't need him in my life. Don't want that. Because the next encounter with me was when we decided to go up this this mountain. I wanted to take her up to see the snow. That's that white, cold stuff, you know. You've you've seen that, yep. So we did. We made our way up in the mountain. And I, I just now, obviously, purchased an incredible little red Cortina 1965 four-cylinder, 1,200. Guys, it was powerful. I lowered it four inches. I'm, do- I'm, I'm true, this is true. I'm not, I'm not just preaching, this is true. Uh, it, it had GT stripes. This is not mine, unfortunately. I, couldn't, I haven't got a picture of mine. But it's, it's exactly the same as that. It had GT stripes down it, it had mag wheels on it, and it had dual extractors. 
Plus, just to, I just shave 30 so off the dipstick just in case, you know, just so it's really hot. You guys will understand what I'm talking about. The problem was, though, as I was coming down the mountain, showing off, I came off the side of the road, slid off the side of the road, and I hit a rock underneath the car, which took my exhaust system off right at the manifold. <laughs> so you would understand the noise that that was making. Now, I really should have said, Anne, I think we'd better go home now. That's what I should have done. But instead I realised that there was, a, there was a meeting going on at a church that we knew that there was a lot of people there. And I thought, let's go and say hello. Now, I didn't really want to say hello. But I said, let's go. Cause, so my little red Cortina 1200 sounded like a, a Mack truck coming into town. It was loud. And I mean, it was loud. And for those of you who know anything about the old cars back then, because this is a 64 model, if you, turn the, if you turn the ignition off and then turn it on again, it backfires. It takes off like a shotgun. And the longer you leave it off, the bigger the bang. And if you leave it too long, you blow your motor, of course. So I thought, that's a great idea, Paul. This is the Peter coming out, you see. And so I did. Went around the block, bang, went around the block, bang. The only reason that I stopped was with Annie yelling and screaming from underneath the dashboard because <laughs> she really didn't want to be seen at all. I was, I was enjoying myself, it really was. But it got around fairly quickly <laughs> that poor Downey was a loudmouth hoon and not someone that this precious little quiet beautiful Scottish girl she'll be going out with. I couldn't understand half of what she was saying anyway because she was Scottish. <laughs> She's trying to get back to it and I go, no, no, no. No, I don't want you to go back to that. But anyway, but even her youth mentor, as a youth leader in those days, a youth mentor, advised her not to continue seeing me. And later when we got engaged, refused to speak to her. And that's true, refused to speak to her. In fact, most of her friends said that our marriage would never last. Interesting, isn't it? How some people have got opinions. Have you ever come across them? It's interesting, our marriage has lasted 52 years and some of those are divorced and separated. 51, is it? Feels like it. <laughs> but, but to Annie's credit, I must say to Annie's credit, and her parents' credit, because I couldn't understand them either, they embraced me into their family. It's true, the host to go, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Had no idea what they were saying. And Anne, well, still is simply besotted with me and I've just got to... <laughs> Hey, this is my turn. Your turn's next week. <laughs> Did you notice which she was supposed to speak last week and it got around and the Premier cut the whole, shut the whole state down. Amazing. So please don't tell anybody Anne's speaking next Sunday, all right? We don't want to be in shutdown again. <laughs> oh, dear. But the, the interesting part, and Anne has said this to me, 
She actually looked through the facade. And I want to tell you, people like me and Peter put up incredible facades. But what you've got to do is you've got to have the ability to see through the facade and look at the heart. And I praise God that that's what Anne did. And this is where Peter found himself with Mrs. Peter. She saw something about Peter that went beyond this burly fisherman's exterior and saw the man that God could change into what he should be. Church, we need to do that. We need to do that. We need to start looking beyond the facade that some people put up, and whatever that might be, it can be a nice and a bad one, and start looking into their hearts and saying, yeah, I see the heart. I don't see the crazy stuff or whatever. This is the Peter who was going to cut off the ear of a guard trying to take Jesus away. This is the Peter who would walk on water when Jesus had come on. This is the Peter who would say, Lord, I will never forsake you. This is the Peter who, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, got up and preached after the day of Pentecost and saw 3,000 people come to Jesus. That's just the men. Because somebody looked through the facade and saw the heart. This is the Peter that, as he sat in church, was so struck by the authority of Jesus, thought to himself, I need to invite him home so he can touch my mother-in-law and heal her. Churchill, I want you to grasp that fact. We too need to invite Jesus home. Now, Peter may have had ulterior motives, of course. Maybe he saw the sadness on his wife's face that if Jesus could heal her, she would start to smile again. Maybe his mother-in-law did all the cooking around the house and Peter loved her cooking. I don't know. But it wasn't uncommon in ancient culture to have parents living with you. Maybe Mrs. Peter wasn't the best of cooks as well. I, I really don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But most likely he loved his mother-in-law so much he wanted her to be well again. And he saw that Jesus was the only one that could do that. Obviously she'd been to the doctors. I love doctors. Please hear me when I say that. You know, I'm reminded of an old poem that I learned many, many, many years ago in my early years, which was entitled, If Jesus Came to Your House. Anybody remember that one? If Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two. If he came unexpected, I wonder what you would do. Would you go right on saying the things you always say? Would life for you continue as it does from day to day? Would your family conversation keep up its usual pace? And would you find it hard to each meal to say a table grace? And it goes on and on. I think it might be very interesting to know the things that we would do or change if Jesus entered into your house physically. He said to you, I want to come home 
straight after church and just want to spend some time with you. I can see some of you saying, oh, heck no, please not. I haven't done the dishes yet. Haven't cleaned the house. I'm, I'm amazed that some people, even as a pastor, going into some people, oh, I'm sorry, I don't care what the place looks like. I've come, I've come to see you, not to come to see your house or anything like that. And this is what Jesus was saying. I don't care what's going on in your home, as in the furniture and whether it's dirty or whatever. whatever. I've come to see you. But I wonder what would change. I wonder if I should have got rid of that magazine that I've been reading. Well, boy, I hope he likes football or cricket because that's what I'll be watching. I have this sneaking suspicion again that he's not interested in those things. Not at all. Jesus always hones in on the person. Always in, on you and me. He loves you. Remember that. He loves you with an everlasting love that's not going to let you go regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what you do. He will not let you go. He loves you. The Bible tells me that. I still love that little chorus we used to sing in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's not because somebody said it's right. It's not because some leader or some friend tells you that Jesus loves you. The Bible on the authority of God's word, the Bible says that he loves you. That's what this is all about. That's why we have communion on on the Sundays that we do, so that we can be reminded again and again and again because we've got a forgettery. You ever know what that is? I've got no idea, but it sounds good. (laughs) But what it is is we forget. We forget so easily. We forget birthdays. We forget anniversaries. We forget a whole... We forget to go to school. But with Jesus, he remembers you every moment of the day. And that's why we do communion, in remembrance of him, so that we can be reminded of that. But when you think of this, of Peter's mother-in-law and Peter's mum, Peter's wife, I should say, is amazing. But the story doesn't stop there because the house becomes like a hospital. People come from all over town. Church, let me just pause there for a moment and say this, that when the presence of Jesus is in the house, when the Spirit of God comes upon a congregation and miracles of healings and deliverance will take place, it will spread like wildfire. But if he's not in the house... If miracles and signs and wonders are not in the house, it's not going to spread out anywhere because it's not even happening here. And we often hear people say, oh, we want to be a New Testament church. What is a New Testament church if it hasn't got signs and wonders in there? Because that's what the New Testament church was all about. We've diluted it. And we need to stop doing that and bring the fresh wine in. Sorry, I better get back onto my notes. But don't assume, don't assume just because you come to church that Jesus will turn up. 
unless we make preparation for him to turn up. Unless we are prepared to seek him, even possibly on our faces. Unless we are prepared to be a living sacrifice and bring our sacrifices of praise, something of what we were doing this morning. If we don't, then don't assume that Jesus will turn up. And you know, I can hear some of you oldies saying, yeah, but he's in your heart, Paul. You don't know what you're talking about. I know that. But the Bible talks about a manifestation of the presence of the Spirit of God that comes down upon people, a congregation, a group of people. And that's what we want to see. I know Jesus dwells within our life. Actually, Jesus dwells in heaven. It's the Spirit of God that dwells in our life. You see, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. That's why we sing songs of praise and worship. Because we, what we're doing is, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, we're building a throne for him to come down and to sit upon. The praises, as we send up our praises, so the blessings come down. I was thrilled to see so many at our prayer meeting a, a couple of weeks ago. That was thrilling. But I want to say to you, church, I'm not going to be satisfied until we pack this place with people praying. Because if you're genuine, if you're real about your Christian life, you want to see revival. You want to see the people of God coming together and, and praying and worshipping, not sitting at home watching television like I've often done. Church, we need the presence of the Lord in this house more than we need great songs, more than we even need great musicians as we have, or great preaching, or great buildings. We simply need Jesus to turn up, just like he did at Peter's house, and allow him to touch our lives with that healing power. I can imagine there are people here today who need healing in their bodies. But I can imagine there are people today who need healing in their soul, in our minds and our emotions and our wills. And probably there are people who need to have spiritual healing as well. You may not know Jesus. And we need him to turn up. You know, I believe that sometimes churches go through the routines of church. Assuming that when we feel good, our songs or our lovely prayers or lots of people coming is God's presence must be there. I wonder how comfortable you would feel if as you walked in the door, I delegated you a seat to sit in. How do you feel about that? So, Michael, you're not sitting there anymore. I'm going to get you to sit over there. And Ken... You've been sitting there for 52 years. Come on, over here. I tell you what, we would see some angry people. I've seen it. I'm sorry I have. I changed the church around one day after a wedding. I didn't put it back. And I had some very angry older people. Older people who said, that's my seat. 
That's my car park. That's my seat over there. And I know there are times when we need to sit in certain places because of situations. I understand that. But why don't you come next week and sit somewhere different? When I was at a church in Wodonga, we had the aisle down the centre like here and there was something like 300 in the congregation. And uh, we'd have a fellowship time. Say, turn around, say hi to somebody. You know, go and say hi to five people. That's what we tried to do. Nobody walked across the River Jordan. (laughs) No one. So I said, this Sunday we're going to do it a little bit differently, folks. All these people, we're going to start moving, and these people are going to start moving, and we're going to collide in the middle over the River Jordan. And I used that analogy so that they could see it as a bit of a, a friendly thing. And they all got drowned in the middle, which was wonderful. It was, it was wonderful, head clashing, everything. And, uh, but it took me 10 minutes to get them all back because they couldn't remember where they were sitting then because they were on the wrong side. Church, I don't think church should ever be comfortable. I'm sorry. We can have comfortable chairs, obviously. But not comfortable because I, I want to be challenged every time I come to church. I want to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Not that I don't want people getting up saying, you're a sinner, you're going to go to hell. I don't want that. But if I can be challenged in my walk with Jesus, then I go out, I go out a little bit different. So let me just say this right up front. If you go home unchanged and unchallenged, There's every possibility Jesus wasn't in the house for you. See, according to Mark's account, it not only affected the whole household, but it spread to the rest of the township because they came from everywhere to see this person who who made a difference in their lives because the, the gospel got spread, got gossiped, if you like. In verse 33, it says, The whole town gathered at her door. Late into the night, miracle after miracle took place. Diseases were cured. Demons were defeated. And they all took place in Peter's mother-in-law's house. That can happen when your place, and it's your place, and it's your place, and it's your place, it can take place. When Jesus turns up like that, people will come from everywhere. I heard a great statement the other day. Home is not a place, but a relationship. I want you to think about that. Home is not a place, but a relationship. You see, it needs to be a place where we can connect with relationships. We build relationships. That's the beauty of home groups, home fellowship groups, is where you connect at a deeper level than some can at church because some go out for coffee, some shoot off home. And we just see each other. We don't connect. I believe there's people here who haven't seen other people for a long time because they haven't connected. Not because you haven't been here, just haven't connected. All of a sudden, her priorities changed. Possessions no longer held the same place in her life. It didn't matter whether the house was tidy or not. 
because it was now wall-to-wall people coming and going. Time and time again, the sick and the oppressed were brought to her door. I have this sneaking suspicion that in the story of the man who was a paralytic, who was lowered down through the the roof, was Peter's mother-in-law's house. We'll We'll address that in a couple of weeks. All she was interested in doing was allowing people to meet Jesus. That's what her main goal was now. And let him do what he does best, touch people's lives so they'll never be the same again. What a challenge for all of us. What a challenge for all of us to open our hearts and our homes to help people find Jesus. And I just want to finish with three very short, valuable lessons, very short. Firstly, Jesus wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives. Jesus wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives. Too often we categorize the spiritual with the secular. We put Jesus and religion and prayer and Bible study and worship over here in this area, but over here in the secular area, we put our things like our our secular life, our family, our work, our relaxation, our hobbies, our habits, our relationships, and all other things that are not important to God, we think. But in actual fact, when we obey the call to follow Christ, everything becomes spiritual. Everything. Everything matters to Jesus. He wants to be involved in your home. He wants to help with mother-in-laws. And there are people who have problems with mother-in-laws, whether we like to believe it or not. He wants to help with six members of the family. He wants to help with wayward children. He wants to be involved in your finances. And he wants to be involved with every one of your decision-making. And he even wants to be involved in you choosing the right partner. But we've got to invite him to do that. We've got to allow him to do that. He won't barge in. Revelation 3.20 says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you let me in, I will come in and I will have fellowship. I will spend that time with you. Jesus is always about relationships and intimacy. Secondly, Peter's home became Jesus' home. Whenever Jesus came to town, he stayed with Peter and his family. Jesus simply became one of the family. He became one of the family. They weren't embarrassed by him, not at all. Just as they introduced each member of the family, Jesus was also introduced as being a part of their family. And then thirdly and lastly, Peter's priorities changed. Sometimes I really struggle at this point myself in life, getting my priorities into the rightful perspective. Sport has been a big priority for me in my life. And Anne will tell you that. And to some degree it's still comes up, takes over. So does TV. Sometimes I use it as an excuse to calm down and just to, if I've had a big day or whatever it might be, I do, but sometimes I use it as an excuse. Even praying. 
studying God's word is hard. Sometimes even going to church, it can be a struggle. The mother went into her son's bedroom on Sunday morning and said, son, it's time to go to church. She said, I don't want to. She said, but you've got to. He said, give me three good reasons why. She said, well, one, you're single. Two, you're 45 years of age. And 33, you're the pastor. (laughs) But sometimes we struggle. We all do. Don't put pastors up on these pedestals. They fall too quick and very hard. We're no different to anybody else emotionally or physically. I might be skinnier than you, but that's about the only difference. (laughs) Sometimes I've even got to prioritise my eating. And Anne will know this. I get carried away with working and I forget to eat. And then I get home and she said, what do you have for lunch? I went, oh, haven't had it. What do you want for tea? I don't feel like anything. She forces me. Let me finish by saying this. At the end of a very long day when everybody else is asleep, Jesus ducks out and finds a quiet spot. Jesus has left the house, but he never leaves the home. Let me say that again. Jesus ducks out, he leaves the house but he doesn't leave the home. Folks, he may not always seem right there at the time when you need him, but let me assure you, he has never left your home. That's the relationship he's built up with you. Because he has made it very clear when he said, I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. Because I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what if Jesus came to your house today? How would you respond to that? Because he wants to build a relationship with you. Maybe there's someone today who simply needs to start a relationship with Jesus. And we simply do that by faith of inviting Jesus into our lives. Come in and take over, Lord. Be my saviour. Forgive me of my sin. Yeah, great. If you need to do that today, just do that. Just simply say that. But maybe there's someone here today and you say, I just need healing in my life. I'm like Peter's mother-in-law. I just need healing in my life and today we're going to give you that opportunity if there's something in your life and there are those here today who I believe that move in that area of praying for people for healing we want to do that don't know who they are but if you need healing today while we sing our last song which is called Cornerstone the worship team might like to come up now as we sing this song in a few moments' time, if, if you need healing in your life, if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, if you want to renew something for G- with Jesus today, then I'm going to encourage you to come from where you'll be standing and just come down the front here and there'll be those of us who will love to pray with you 
and pray for you that God will start to do some miracles in your life. Yes, in the life of the church, but that's not the building, by the way. In the life of his church, corporate. Whether for those of you who are teachers here today or staff and you're not Baptist, well, that's okay, I think. (laughs) It is definitely okay. But from whatever congregation you come from, thank you for coming to start with. But you're all part of the family. We're all part of God's family. You know, whether we have this tag over us or not, doesn't mean a scrap to me. I love the Baptist. But I love the Uniting Church. And I love the Anglicans. And I love the Catholics. And I love the Presbyterians. And I could go on, but I won't. Because we're a part of his family. And we love to do things together and pray together. So if you need prayer today, let me just pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the the instructions that we can get from walking with you, Lord Jesus, and seeing it through the eyes of Mark, who obviously observed you so greatly. And Lord, I guess there's many of us who have been observing, observing Christians And I guess some of us, Lord, haven't been great models for that. Lord, I I ask for forgiveness for any of us who have put up a wrong model of unforgiveness or anger or resentment or whatever it might be. Lord, forgive us for that, please, so that we can draw together in the home, the home of great relationships with you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, if there's somebody today that needs that healing in their lives, would you touch them, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit? Touch them right now. Give them the courage. Give them that healing. And I pray it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.